Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Have you ever seen the Disney movie classic Homeward Bound? How many of you have seen that? Okay, I remember watching it when my kids were little, when it first came out in the mid-90s. And uh, based upon a book called The Incredible Journey, the story of three pets. So you've got a a misbehaving bulldog named Chance, uh, a wise old golden retriever named Shadow, and a smart-mouthed cat named Sassy. And they're owned by three kids, uh, part of a family, siblings. And the family's about to go on an extended trip. They're going to be gone for a month or two, so they decide it would be best to board the animals. And they've got a friend who will take care of them who lives on a ranch several hundred miles away. So they drop the animals off and they head off on their trip. Uh, Only problem is the, uh, the ranch owner needs to go on a cattle drive for a couple of days. So instructions are left behind for a ranch hand to take care of the animals. And somehow the instructions get lost and the animals aren't being taken care of, and they're certain they've been abandoned. So they decide they're going to escape the ranch, and they're going to make their way home. Now, what they don't realize is that home is several hundred miles away, and it's over a mountain range. But they are determined to get home. So they set off, and along the way, uh, Chance is is, uh, uh, struck full of quills by a porcupine, Uh, The golden retriever shadow is chased by a mountain lion. Uh, The cat goes over a waterfall. That was a good part. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Uh, I I could remember my kids kind of cuddling close during those tense scenes, but it ends on a good note because they make it home. They make it home, and the movie ends with them cresting the hill and coming home, and it's got uh, epic Disney music behind it. Everybody's in tears. My wife's wiping tears from her eyes. Okay, I'm wiping tears from my eyes, too. Welcome to week two of a six-part holiday series called Home. Home, what our hearts long for. Our hearts long for home more than those three pets wanted to get home. So home is a major theme in the Bible. Uh, Last week we learned as we launched into this series that we, we all suffer from a major case of homesickness, whether we realize it or not. And that's because our sin... You know, our our determination to go our way instead of God's way has left us estranged, estranged from ourselves, estranged from God, estranged from others, from nature, from home. We saw last week how all of this played out in the story of the original human couple, Adam and Eve. The opening book of the Bible, Genesis, describes how their disobedience to God resulted in the loss of their home, the Garden of Eden. Now, if you missed last week's sermon, it, you know, it's kind of like missing the first 20 minutes of a good movie, uh, because last week was the context. And, and in fact, let me say this is true of just about every series, sermon series we do at Christ Community Church. Uh, every succeeding sermon in this series builds on what's gone before. So anytime you miss a sermon in the series, I would encourage you, go online, watch the video so you have a sense of context. Now, last week we learned that we've all wandered from home, from home in the deepest sense of that word. Today we're going to learn, we're going to discover God's plan for our return. 
This plan for our return unfolds throughout the pages of the Bible and the home to which God is going to to bring us is pictured in the Bible as the promised land. The promised land. You ever heard that expression? Uh, Today we're going to take a look at four episodes in the unfolding story of the the promised land. And we're going to be flipping around to a bunch of different Bible passages. Now, typically, Pastor Clayton and I, we like to hunker down into one text for every sermon and just drill down into it. But the the story of the promised land is spread out over many passages, so we're going to have to do a little bit of flipping around today. So keep your page-turning finger ready or your electronic device-tapping finger ready and start with Genesis 12. Okay, if you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to take a look at episode Uh, Number one in the story of the promised land, and it has to do with a place to move. So number one, the promised land is a place to move, and the central character at this point in the story is a dude named Abraham. Okay, he's still called Abram here. Eventually his name gets lengthened to to Abraham. Let me begin reading at verse one of Genesis chapter 12. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Uh, The phrase, the land, is going to pop up through all the passages we read today. So if you brought your own Bible, just start circling it, okay? Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now drop down to verse 7. Okay, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land, this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God, for your holy word. So God appears to Abraham. The Bible considers uh, Abraham to be the father of all believers in the one true God. So that includes both Old Testament Jewish believers and New Testament Christ followers. Abraham's the father of all who believe in the, in the one true God. And this is God's first call on, on Abraham's life. And he makes a promise to Abraham. And the promise includes the provision of land, which is why the land gets the name the promised land. God promises a future home in this land for Abraham. Now it's a bit interesting because when God makes this promise, Abraham already has a home. Abraham is living in an ancient city called Ur. You are Ur. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, what kind of a city gets a name like Ur? It must be some sort of primitive outpost. That's not the case at all. According to archaeologists who've dug up remains in ancient Ur, they've discovered uh, evidences of an ornate temple, a bustling market, a well-stocked library, lots of residential homes. They've even found a royal cemetery there where the uh, rulers of Ur were buried along with treasures and chariots and musical instruments. So it was a highly developed, highly cultured, highly civilized place to live. So when God says, I I want to take you someplace, I want you to move Abraham, he's he's not going from the boonies to some really decked out place, just the opposite. God is asking Abraham to leave his comfort zone, to leave a, a really slick place to live and to make his way to the boonies. Now what would motivate Abraham to do that, to travel hundreds of miles to get to the middle of nowhere? 
The writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews answers that question. If you want to turn, it's Hebrews chapter 11. The writer of Hebrews answers the question as to what would motivate Abraham to move with one word. The word is faith. Faith. I'm reading from Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. It says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. Those were Abraham's son and grandson who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So the promised land didn't look like much when when Abraham first arrived and he pitched his tent there. But the writer of Hebrews says that Abraham had faith, faith that God was going to do something great in his life. Abraham believed that the promised land was symbolic of a much bigger, a much better home that God had in store for his future. Now, whenever I read this first episode of the promised land story, I think of the Christ Community Church story. You know, we started this church 34 years ago. In fact, in several weeks from now, we're coming up on our 34th anniversary. We began in a rented movie theater. Didn't look like much. Uh, But the church grew quickly, and because of the generous giving of the people, we were able to purchase 40 acres of land on Randall Road in St. Charles. And and when we first purchased this, and God was going to move us here, this property didn't look like much. It It was under 40 acres of alfalfa, okay? And it was on a little country road. Randall Road was a two-lane country road with lots of potholes in it. And I remember coming and walking over the property and trying to imagine, what could God do here? And I wanted to believe, I wanted to believe that God would do something big. And God did do something big. But the the, the bigness is not represented by the size of the building we now have sitting on that property. The bigness is represented by the thousands of people now spread across four campuses in DeKalb and Streamwood and Aurora and St. Charles who've experienced a life-changing relationship with God. That's what God had in mind. That's what God's original promise to Abraham, to give his descendants land, What the land promise was all about. It wasn't just about real estate. It pointed to something much bigger. It pointed to an intimate relationship with God for myriads of people who begin to experience that relationship now in this world and then in an eternal home. So after Abraham moved to Canaan, that's the proper name for the the promised land, God reiterated his promise to him. Listen to what God says to Abraham a couple of chapters over in Genesis, Genesis 17, verse 8. It says, the whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants afterward. Now listen, and I will be their God. And I will be their God. That's God's promise. That's God's offer to every one of us. He wants to be our our, our God. He wants to be fully at home in our lives. He wants us to be at home with him, both in this world and in the world to come. But there's a prerequisite, friends. 
There's a prerequisite for experiencing that special relationship with God. Like Abraham, we've got to exercise some faith. Like Abraham, we've got to make a move. We've got to leave our our comfort zone. We've got to leave our place of spiritual complacency. We've got to leave our ur. Are you willing to do that? You know, but by faith, are you willing, in order to find a home with God, are you willing to leave your old life behind? Your old indifference to God. Your old sinful habits. Your old misplaced priorities. Your old independent decision making. Are you willing to leave that behind? Are you, by faith, are you willing to surrender your life to God's Son, to Jesus Christ? You say, why, why Jesus? Well, because the Bible says Jesus is the only way to God, the only way to the promised land. You know, why, why is Jesus the only way? Because there's an obstacle, there's a barrier between us and a holy God. The, the obstacle, the barrier is our sin. And only Jesus takes care of our sin. He comes to earth and he, he pays sin's penalty. You know, the penalty of sin, the Bible teaches, is death. When we go our way instead of God's way, it's not a, a little insignificant matter. It's serious business. We disconnect from the source of life, and the consequence is death. The wages of sin is death, the Bible teaches. So Jesus comes to the planet and gives his life on the cross. He takes the death we deserve to die, and then he's raised from the dead so that today he can offer you forgiveness. He can offer you new life. He can offer you an eternal home with God. But you've got to make a move. You've got to make a move. You've got to leave your Ur for the promised land. You've got to, by faith, surrender your life to Christ if you've never done that. You know, before this service concludes, I'd like to give you an opportunity to do so. So the promised land, first, first episode, the promise, promised land is all about a place to move place to move. Second episode, it's a place to conquer. It's a place to conquer, and the central character in this part of the story is a guy named Joshua. Joshua. So Abraham's descendants didn't stay in the promised land for long. They moved down generations later to Egypt. The details of that part of the story uh, we don't have time to cover, but Egypt, Egypt was not a happy place for Abraham's descendants. They were Pharaoh's slaves for over 400 years. But then they cried out to God and God sent them a deliverer by the name of Moses. By the way, in January, and just a couple of months away, we're gonna do a series on leadership based on the life of Moses, so stay tuned. Moses went to Pharaoh and he demanded that Pharaoh release God's people, set God's people free, and Pharaoh said, if you remember the story, he said, no way, Moses, right? Work with me a little bit. You guys ate too much turkey. Come on. Uh, Pharaoh said, no way. And so God inflicted Egypt with ten plagues until finally Pharaoh uh, threw up his hands and he said to Moses, just take your people and get out of here. And so the people made their way to where? To the promised land. Now, unfortunately, when they got there, they wimped out. Well, the, the, the promised land itself looked fabulous, but when they sent some spies in to check things out, the spies came back and said, the people are terrifying, the people who live here. 
And so God's people decided not to go in, and God said, okay, if that's what you want, I'm going to let you wander. And they wandered in the, the, the wilderness for 40 years until the entire unbelieving generation died off, and then it was time to make a sec- second attempt at the promised land. Moses was no longer Israel's leader. He had turned the reins over to a guy named Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 1, why don't you turn there with me? It's a few books beyond Genesis. Turn over to Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, God gives a pep talk to Joshua just before Joshua crosses the Jordan River and enters Canaan, the promised land, in order to conquer it. So let me read to you several excerpts from God's pep talk to Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. Okay, so the Lord said to Joshua, this is the middle of verse 2 now, Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land. You got the land, circled it, into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. It's the promised land. Drop down to verse 6. God says, be strong and courageous, Joshua, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Drop down to verse 10. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land. Okay, the land, the Lord your God is giving you for your own. And that's exactly what they do. Uh, Flip over a few chapters to Joshua chapter 11. Drop down to verse 23. This is kind of the summary of what happened. Joshua 11 verse 23. So Joshua took the entire land. Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses. And he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. The land had rest from war. So you read this. Let's say you're following Christ Community Church's Bible-savvy reading schedule, and someday you're going to come across Joshua. How are we as Christ followers supposed to apply this scripture to our lives? Well, once again, the promised land is a picture. And it points to an experience that every Christ follower is going to encounter. Let me explain. When, when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, God guarantees the promised land to us. We have a home with God. We have a home that begins in this world and continues on into the world to come. However, the Christian life in this world is going to be one of daily battles. Okay, if we're going to take ground, if we're going to grow spiritually... If we're going to deepen our relationship with God, if we're going to accomplish things of eternal significance in this life, we're going to have to fight for it. We're going to have to fight for it. Now, on the one hand, okay, God gives us the promised land. So when you surrender to Jesus Christ, you're in. The promised land is yours. But on the other hand, following Jesus Christ daily requires an ongoing battle. It's like conquering Canaan, if you would. It means you got to do some things. Like you, you got to daily carve out time to get your instructions from God's Word. You get yourself into a community group and you study it with other people and you apply it to your life. You, you show up on the weekends regardless of the weather or who's playing a football game or whatever because you, you want God's Word for your life. 
It means you start resisting some sins that you used to just capitulate to, used to give in to. They were your nasty habits, and now you're starting with God's strength to say no. It means your whole attitude to money changes. Our lives revolve around money, and we start out thinking that it's all ours to do with as we please. And then you become a Christ follower. You get into the promised land, and, and you learn. Now, in order to conquer in this area of your life, you've got to agree it all belongs to God, and God wants to make a giver out of you. Starting with the first 10% of every paycheck that you give back to the ministry of your local church, and then you learn to give generously to other things as well. That's tough. That's war. That's a battle to overcome the natural inclination to spend all that money on yourself. It means you learn how to pray. You know, in the past, before you surrendered to Jesus, he would shoot up an occasional one-liner. But, but now, learning how to pray means setting aside time each day to have a conversation with God about your job and your relationships and your, your challenges. It means you got to start forgiving people who have hurt you because that's what the Bible says you got to do. You think that's easy? Oh, my, no. You know, it means you start looking out for widows and orphans and refugees. That's what the Bible teaches. It means you start talking about Jesus with your friends, even though your friends look at you like you're crazy. Again, not an easy thing to do. It means you start rejoicing in the trials of your life instead of wringing your hands and complaining about them to everybody else because you know God has something good in store for you, even in the midst of the trials. See, what I'm trying to say is that conquering Canaan is not for sissies, Okay? Following Jesus is like waging a non-stop war. But don't forget that, that verse about rest that I read to you from Joshua a few minutes ago. When, when Joshua's battles were finally over, the promised land had rest. And so allow me to comfort you with the truth that a day is coming for every Christ follower when the, the struggles will be over when we will finally experience the full version of the promised land that is characterized by joy and peace and an undiluted sense of the presence of God. You know, C.S. Lewis pictures what that, that world is going to be like. In volume seven of a seven-book children's series called The Chronicles of Narnia, some of you have read them or read them to your kids. Okay, for six books... You know, we read the story of these four siblings who travel repeatedly to the magical land of Narnia, where, where they wage war against bad guys, and they're facing one crisis after another. But you finally come to book seven, called The Last Battle. And after they fight the last battle, they're transported from the old Narnia to the new Narnia. Lewis describes the new Narnia as a place where, and I quote, every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I love that. It all looked like it, you know, something extra here. And then the unicorn kind of sums up what everybody's thinking. The unicorn stomps his foot and he lets out a long nay, and he declares, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. And one day, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's what you're going to declare in the full version of the promised land that, that's coming. You're going to look around and say, this is the home I've always been looking for. And I never realized it till now. 
Now, in the meantime, in the meantime, we're constantly conquering. And some days, friends, let's just admit it. As Christ followers, some days it's three steps forward, two steps back, right? We make a little ground, we lose a little ground. But, But one day the full version promised land will be nothing but delight. Nothing but delight. And if this were a Baptist church, you'd all be shouting amen and hallelujah by now. Golly, what's wrong with us? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. You need to read the Chronicles of Narnia. That's what you need to read. That'll set you up. Episode number three. The promised land is a place to return. A place to return. And I want you to turn now to Jeremiah because he's the central character in this part of the story we're going we're to look at. Jeremiah chapter 32. So Jeremiah is a little beyond the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. And while you're turning, let me give you a quick summary of what happened between the time of Joshua, about 1400 B.C., to the time of Jeremiah, about 600 B.C. So we've got this 800-year time span that I'm going to sum up in about a minute here. All right. So after Israel conquered the Promised Land, the people chose for themselves a king. Now, the first king was a dude named Saul, who was a loser, okay? He was a dud. But then the second king was a guy named David, who was a great king, a great warrior, great leader, great role model most of the time. Occasionally, he strayed far from God, but he came back with humility and with sincerity, and he led his people into what historians refer to as Israel's golden era. But after David, the kings just got worse and worse and worse. Many of them were greedy, immoral, idolatrous, tyrannical. So the country had a civil war, and it split into two kingdoms. Now there were, there, there were two countries, a kingdom to the north that retained the name Israel. But that kingdom had one wicked king after another, so the people, you know... Just were nonstop wicked until finally God had had enough and he sent the superpower of the day, Assyria, to go in and destroy the cities and carry the people of northern Israel off into captivity. Now in the south, things fared a little better for a while because they would occasionally have a good king and he would turn people's hearts back to God. There would be a spiritual revival. Unfortunately, the the revivals never lasted for too long, so... They tanked as well. And around 600 B.C., as Jeremiah is writing this book, this Old Testament book that bears his name, he's writing in the capital city of Judah, the southern kingdom, the capital city being Jerusalem. And God has now raised up a new superpower, Babylon, to attack the southern kingdom because of their wickedness. And so Jeremiah is writing this book in the midst of it. The Babylonians are literally knocking at the city gate with battering rams. And God tells Jeremiah to do something that sounds absolutely ridiculous when you read it. God says to Jeremiah, I want you to go out and buy a piece of real estate. Now, go go buy a piece of property. And Jeremiah's like, buy a piece of property in a city that's about to capitulate to the Babylonians. It's going to be decimated. Why would I want to do that? But Jeremiah obeys. He buys a piece of, of property, and he's holding the title the deed of purchase in his hand when God speaks to him a second time. This is Jeremiah 32, verses 14 and 15. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time. 
For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. In this land. So why would Jeremiah buy property in the, in the promised land when the promised land is about to fall into enemy hands? Because, God says, this is not the end of the story. Yes, my people will be taken away into exile. Yes, they will be held captive for for 70 years in Babylon, but eventually they will return to the promised land. I will bring them home. I will bring them home. In fact, turn to the very next chapter of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 33. Drop down to verse 7. God says, I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and will rebuild them as they were before. Listen to this. I will cleanse them from all the sin they've committed against me and forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. And then this city, Jerusalem, will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. Wow. (laughs) One day, one day, God says through Jeremiah, my people are going to return home. Now, have you ever heard the old expression, the old saying, you can never go home again? You can never go home again. It's a very popular notion in literature and in movies that once you leave home, there's, there's no going back. In fact, even if you could go back home, things would never be the same. The sense of warmth, the sense of security, it's gone. It's gone for good. In in the 1985 movie, A Trip to Bountiful, uh, the story is told of an elderly woman named Carrie Watts. Uh, Carrie is living in a cramped apartment in Houston back in the 1940s, but she's got a dream, and the dream is that one day she'd be able to return just for a visit to the little Texas town she grew up in, the town of Bountiful. Now, she's got a son and a daughter-in-law, but they're they're very controlling, and they refuse to take her to Bountiful, even though it's not that long a trip, and they they refuse to give her money to go to Bountiful, Bountiful on her own. And so one day, she gets her Social Security check in the mail, and she goes and cashes it at the bank, and she takes the money and goes to the bus stop and buys a ticket to Bountiful bus ticket to Bountiful, and she travels there. By by the way, if you're thinking, sounds like an interesting movie, got to warn you, this is not an action-adventure flick, okay? Just don't want you to be disappointed. It moves very slowly. I like slow-moving movies. I like character development. This movie won an Academy Award for Best Actress, the woman who played Carrie Watts. So she gets to Bountiful, and it's heartbreaking because this little village has ceased to exist. It, 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 tumbleweed blowing through, through town. It's deserted. She finds her, her family home, and it's this dilapidated old building, and the, the message of the movie comes through loud and clear. You can never go home again. Never. Now, maybe you've felt that way in your relationship with God. Maybe there was a time when you were at home with him, and God was fully at home in your life. But that was a while back, and for whatever reason you've drifted away, maybe life just got busy for you. Maybe you're a student who's gone off to college, and when you were home, God felt close. 
but you sort of drifted away from him at school, or maybe some crisis has undermined your faith. You know, so you used to read the Bible, but now you, you rarely pick it up. You know, you used to attend church regularly, never missed, worshiped enthusiastically, but now it's when you can get there. You used to tell others about Jesus. Now you can't remember the last time you brought Jesus up in conversation. You used to invite people to come with you to special events at the church, like this upcoming Christmas, this is Christmas, special event. But you haven't even thought of anyone you'd like to bring to something like that. You used to serve in some area of ministry. You got great joy out of that, but there are other things that fill your schedule now. You used to love to, to give, like this year-end gift that we're collecting to drill wells in Sierra Leone, that would make your heart beat fast and you'd look at your bank account and say, how much can we do? And now you're thinking about what you want to spend that money on for yourself. See, God used to be central to your life. His presence was so tangible, you felt close to him. But not lately. And you know what they say, you can never go home again. Well, Jeremiah would say, oh, yes, you can. Just as God's Old Testament people eventually return from Babylonian exile to the promised land, so you can return to a warm, vibrant, meaningful relationship with God. In fact, I'm here to tell you today, God wants you home. He wants you home today. So if you've wandered from him, confess your waywardness. Ask God to give you a clean heart. Ask him to heal your heart. Pick up once again the spiritual habits that used to keep you close to God. Re-engage those habits. See, the, the, the promised land is a place to return. You can return today. You get it? Good. Number four. Episode number four. The promised land is a person to embrace, a person to embrace. And the central figure in this part of the story is Jesus, a person to embrace. About once or twice a month after the service, one of our services in St. Charles while I'm hanging out in the Welcome Center and people come back to talk, at least once or twice a month, someone will come and say something like this. They'll say, well, I've got a stupid question for you. And I, you know, I, I say the conventional thing. There's no such thing as a stupid question. And uh, they'll say, well, here it is. Why do you wear your wedding ring on your right hand? And I say, boy, that's a stupid question. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm always amazed that it comes up as frequently as it does and that people are so observant. And so I take a few minutes and I explain, you know, some years ago I was fixing something on the roof of my house and I fell off the ladder and I broke my finger and it was a pretty uh, messy break. They called it an old man break. You know, and they, they put it back together with some screws and eventually when it healed they took the screws out but the base of my ring finger on my left hand is now really fat. Okay, so the ring doesn't fit on it and if I enlarge the ring, so if you're a jeweler saying I can enlarge it for you, now if I enlarge it then it'll be too, too big for the knuckle and it'll fall off. So I wear my ring on my right hand. And some of you are saying, where are you going with this? <laughs> but here's the reason I kept the ring. The ring's important to me. It's more than a ring. 
The ring doesn't point to itself. The ring points to my marriage, to my relationship with Sue, to to unity and commitment, to never-ending love. That's what my ring says. Now, in the Old Testament, there there are some things that that point to Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus. For example, the, the animal sacrifices that were offered to pay for people's sins. Okay, remember the penalty of sin is what? It's death. Okay, you, you separate from God, the giver of life, the penalty is death. But God said, I, I'm willing to accept the death of an animal in place of the death of a sinful person. So instead of having to die, you can offer an animal in your place. And those animal sacrifices point to what? Point to Jesus, who would one day come as the ultimate sacrifice, giving his life on the cross. Or, or there was a, a system of priests in the Old Testament. One priest in particular called the high priest. And that pointed to Jesus because the New Testament describes him as our high priest. The high priest is to be a go-between, a mediator, connecting people with God. That's what Jesus does. When you come to know Jesus, you get a relationship with God. Even simple things in the Old Testament, like when the Israelites are wandering for 40 years in the desert and they've nothing to eat, and God rains something called manna. It's a Hebrew word that means, what's this? (laughs) And so it, it falls out of the sky and it's bread, miraculously provided for them. Well, Jesus arrives on the scene in the New Testament and he tells a large crowd of people, I'm the manna. Okay, I'm the bread of life who can give your life nourishment in the truest sense of the word. Well, here's something else in the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus. The promised land. The promise. Now, we could do a whole series about this topic. In fact, in the last year, I've read two or three books just on this topic, how the land promises of Scripture point to Jesus. But I'm just going to close with this. Remember what the, the promised land meant to God's Old Testament people? It was home. It, it was home. And even more importantly, it was where God was at home with them, with his people. So with that in mind, that the, the promised land points to home, points to God being at home with his people, let me read to you the words of Jesus in John 14, verse 23. Jesus says to a crowd, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them, now listen, and make our home with them. And make our home with them. Wow, Jesus says, if you love me, if you surrender your life to me, if you begin to follow my teaching as recorded in the Bible, I will make my home in your life. Jesus Christ will become your promised land. Now, does that mean that the promised land is no longer a a physical place? Well, we're going to talk about that in the very last week of the series, week six. It's the weekend between Christmas and New Year's, so don't miss that weekend. We're going to learn about the future new heavens and new earth, the ultimate physical promised land. But today... I just want to close with the focus on Jesus because Jesus is the ultimate promised land. He's the one that the promised land picture points to. And I want to ask you as we close, is Jesus at home in your life? You know, do you know Jesus as your promised land? Have you ever surrendered 
to Jesus, have you made the move by faith? A- Abraham had to leave Ur to travel to the, the promised land. Have you ever left your place of spiritual complacency and made the faith decision to surrender your life to Christ? The, the promised land is a place to conquer, and if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to be a day-to-day war. Where are you battling for the sake of your spiritual growth today? Where are you deepening your relationship with God? What spiritual disciplines are you, you utilizing to shore up yourself for this ongoing battle. And the promised land is a place to return. And if you wandered from a relationship with Jesus, he's saying to you today, come home. I'm still here. And I want you to be at home with me. Confess your sin. Ask me to heal your heart. Is Jesus your promised land? I'd like to close in a word of prayer, and then we're going to sing an ancient and old Christmas song that's got such meaning, such significance in pointing to Christ. But would you pray with me across four campuses as we wrap up? I just want to give you an opportunity. If you've never surrendered to Christ, if you've never made the move, that Abrahamic-type move, you've never uttered the words, oh, God, I'm far from you, and I want to be home. You could do that right now. Just tell him. Say, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. You are the only way to God. You you tore down the barrier that stood between me and a holy God. And so I want to surrender my life to you. Would you do that right now? And if you've not been fighting the fight, if you're a Christ follower who's just been giving in, as if this Christian life can be lived with no effort on your part, God will give the strength, but you've got to put the strength to use. Would you tell him right now what steps you're going to take to start making strides, to take ground, spiritually speaking? And if you've wandered, would you right now in the quietness of your heart pray something like this, Oh God, forgive me. There was a day when I felt close to you, and I don't feel that so much. Show show me what it is that's caused me to be wayward. Bring me back home. I want to be on fire for you like I used to be on fire. I want to talk up Jesus among my friends. I want this Christmas season to be a, a season when I share the good news of Christ with others. Lord God, thank you for giving us this poignant symbol of the promised land that would point us to your coming son, Jesus Christ. And now we look back on him and we say, that's what we want for our lives. We want to be home with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.